I want to fling. Whoa, marriage takes work. No, I want to fling into spring at Total Wine. Tequilas and fruit-flavored vodkas, Chardonnays, Rosés, Pinots. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more. Hi, this is Lindsay, one of the co-hosts of Beauties and Headcanons. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Welcome back to another episode of Caught Listening. Christian and I will here with you, broadcasting, as always, part of the Public House Media Network. You guys can find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Google and Apple Play, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, iHeartRadio as well. We're on Spotify. And, of course, you can always check out PublicHouseMedia.org to catch up on past episodes or check out some of the other great shows as part of the Public House Media family. We are into the middle of June, uh, which usually means we're talking, you know, at least in baseball world, we're talking about the amateur draft, we're talking about the trade deadline, we're talking about all this other stuff, but in the current world that we're in, we're trying to find other ways to get our baseball fix, and as they continue discussions as to what baseball will look like when they come back, the biggest one that maybe hasn't been discussed just yet is the fan experience. What is it going to look like for fans when the gates open again and, and when people can go and cheer on their favorite teams? So it's going to change, uh, most certainly, from what it has been in the past. That being said, there's a base for it. There, there's a, a set way to go about and, and make sure that fans do have a great time. And, and two guys who have spent some time deciding which teams and, and dictating, or I shouldn't say dictating, but deciding and deciphering which teams have maybe the best fan experience join us here on the program. Uh, Asa Beal and Michael Wentworth, uh, the creators of the Fan Experience Index. Uh, this was a post that um, was put up on Fangraphs, uh, the Hardball Times, in 2018, and it ranks every major league franchise in terms of fan experience, and I'm excited to dive into it with them. Gentlemen, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks yeah, for having thanks us. For having and uh, so let's kind of start with this first. Uh, you know, Michael, if you could kind of take us through the beginnings of this. When did you two devise this? How did you guys come about this idea of of putting together a formula to dis- to figure out which franchise has that best fan experience? Um, so we had uh, collaborated on an article, sort of on how to make lousy teams watchable. And so while we were thinking about, you know, exploring all of the different teams and. And we started sort of thinking about, you know, well, what would the fan experience be like if a team started to try unique things at the ballpark? And then that expanded into thinking about the fan experience at at every ballpark. Um, and, and then we needed to break down what that would all entail. So, um, you know, we looked at affordability uh how the what ownership group um if it was positive in the community and in, in you know creating an atmosphere that welcomed and was equitable to all the community um you know to game day experience and one of the fun things i thought we did was break down um accessibility out of the ballpark for access and in broadcast and in feasibility of of getting there um, and breaking that apart from the broadcast to just have the broadcast team sort of get their own due. Um, and then we just kind of looked at would we, you know, how would we separate the percentages of, of ranking these values? And, um, 
so then that you know took a little while um and in asa um you know maybe you want to share as well of what yeah then I mean, we you know we had yeah oh no i was just gonna say i mean it's it's hard to put a number on something right like like the fan experience is 18 percent the game day experience at the ballpark. That's what we landed right. on. And it might seem kind of arbitrary. And some people are never going to go to a game because, you know, they live across the country from the team they follow. And some mm-hmm. people are going to go to 50 games a year. So that number is going to be higher. So we kind of tried to <laughs> find a middle, find a, a median there. And, you know, the, the numbers could be quibbled with for every person. It's going to be a little different, um, you know, and, and, something like a mascot at 1%. Does that really matter? Probably not, but it's fun <laughs> to talk about and think yeah. about. Um, yeah, so it's 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 a funny exercise to make quantitative, but we wanted to find a way because baseball is all about stats, and we all love <laughs> numbers and rankings and all that. Most certainly, especially in, in a game so, so stat-driven. Um, should note that this was uh, put up originally in June of 2018, so we only had about a season and a half to really make any adjustments. So I, I think it's fair to say that how it was ranked in 2018 would probably still be relevant today. There might be a couple, you know, minor things here and there, but um, I, I will say when I was going through this and, and the first time I saw it, I was a little surprised, and I had to remind myself this is major league we're talking about, um, not necessarily minor leagues, but I was a little surprised to see the weight assigned to social media and, and mascots because, uh, and we were talking about this last week on the show uh, with Dave Raymond, um, uh, who was the original Philly fanatic mascots can put so much of a emphasis on a franchise and it can really almost lift a franchise up like gritty, for example, with the Philadelphia flyers or orbit for the Houston Astros. So I, I was a little intrigued to see, and not to mention how many teams on social media and what they're able to do, the, the great jobs that they're able to do there. But I'm a little intrigued to see, um, you know, how low those were on, on your guys' scale. Yeah, you know, I think, I think I'm, I'm someone who, who spends a lot of time on the Internet and on Twitter, probably too much time. And I, you know, probably half the people I follow are insider baseball people on Twitter. So there's mm-hmm. this really tight-knit community of people, which also overlaps with people who are stat-savvy and saver-savvy, and it's kind of a, you know, the, the sort of new-school online baseball community. And I think sometimes we lose sight of how many baseball fans there are that aren't engaging with that at all. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the numbers are low. We, we, put, we weighted it as 1% for social media and 1% for mascot. Um, and, and obviously this is written with our own biases. I think probably mascots have a lot more value to uh, a family experience, right? Mm-hmm. Than, than purely uh, an adult. And, and you did point out some, some legendary ones that said, I definitely couldn't name, you know, 27 of the other of the mascots <laughs> in baseball. I know the Philly fanatic. I know Mr. Right. Matt. I, I guess I know the Braves one because I'm a Braves fan. Homer the Brave, who just looks like a Mr. Matt ripoff. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it was it was always a tricky balance to try to get perspective of you know what is our experience and how can we try to zoom it out a little bit to so the the greater baseball watching public who are you know we know this that the median fan gets older every year and and um, and everything. So 
I don't know. That that was sort of what I was thinking there. And it, it, it makes sense, especially yeah, because. From, oh, no, go ahead. I was say as uh, um, you know, as someone you know, we live in or I live in the Bay Area still, um, and I go to A's and Giants games, and I know that the you know Lucille and Stomper are probably the most popular things in um, you know those stadiums on you know for in those ballparks for kids under you know, for people under, you know, 10 years old. Yeah. Um, the people are running up to get pictures and they love it. They want to buy, you know, merchandise with them. Um, but we did think that the value of the fan experience wouldn't be impacted as much. Um, so I think that these, that that will, I think social media will change. I still think that broadcast is you know i don't know if it's 15 to 1 ratio and impact difference but um i feel if anything you know people teams might use social media and 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 all of the new formats of what that will look like in in the future um to their advantage so i think social media would change over all of these the most Mm -hmm. and when you guys bring up one of the things i love i love how much weight you put on ballpark accessibility broad and broadcast as well because as someone who lived in the new york city area for 10 years uh, between college grad school and a couple of years of post-grad school and someone who also grew up as a diehard red sox fan nothing pained me more than having to watch a really good baseball team in the yankees with in my opinion a poor broadcast team but a really poor team in the mets Ooh. with a tremendous broadcast team and, and that that was one of the re- you talk about it we started this conversation is what makes you know teams watchable i will happily watch the mets every single day of the week to listen to gary cohen and keith hernandez because as a broadcaster they're tremendous and then the amount of times i spent at city field i do enjoy that ballpark it may not be the it, it's a little bit easier to get to through mass transit than obviously driving, but that's New York. So I, I really do enjoy how much weight you guys put on those two aspects of it. Yeah, this, this one yeah. is polarizing, especially the broadcast teams. You know, people feel really strongly. And I think people, I, I think some fans really love the Homer broadcasters because they're your guys or in yeah. case, <laughs> mostly guys and, and they you know, they're they're defending your team. I mean, I'm a Braves fan, and I haven't liked our broadcasters since, since like, the early 2000s. And some of our, like, this is a tangent, but it's, like, Chip Carey and, and some of these guys, like, they, they will just, like, talk sarcastically about other players in a way <laughs> that they had this running joke with the Nationals after Strasburg had to sit out the playoffs and what was that, 2012, mm-hmm. where the, the Nats decided to hold him out of the playoffs. And every time he would be even remotely leashed in on a pitch count, they would be like, oh, put the Maserati back in the garage. <laughs> and it was this running joke about how, like, like Steven Strasburg is too fragile to pitch. And, like, this whole, this whole like, old-school gritty thing that, that was really tired to me. But then some people love that. And this is where we got a lot of, you know, pushback in the comments from people who were, who were sort of saying, oh, you know, the – the Giants team is sort of maybe universally beloved, but maybe has become overrated. So it's people get up in arms. About this. Hey, I love me some John Miller. I miss that guy on national national yeah. broadcasts. I love me some John Miller. Same with Charlie Steiner, and and you know, there's a bunch there. So, but I think it's interesting that you point out the the Homer aspect of it because 
and, and again, I'm going to go back to him because you know he's probably maybe the most homer of them all. But John Sterling, the Yankees radio broadcaster, and how he has nicknames for every single one and a special tagline for every single home run that someone hits uh, based off their name. Mm-hmm. And it does become a part of that fan base to almost the point where even on social media, you get people who, you know, I, I can remember, you know, an upper decky from Hideki or the Grandy Man can and stuff like you know, th- those type things. They become part of the fan base and part of the fan culture almost. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mike. I was just going to say those two examples you just used, they're so corny, but I kind of love it. Like, <laughs> exactly. To me, baseball, it is a little corny. Like baseball is not the NBA. It's not on the cutting edge of sort of like it doesn't have his finger on the pulse of culture. And maybe it should, you could mm-hmm. argue, but it doesn't. And it's a little, you know, it's, it's, it's a little behind the times. And, the you know, the people in charge are a little, uh, you know, set in their ways and, and that it just feels right. It feels right with like the, the cheesy ballpark music and it, like, it feels like it all is part parcel. One thing I've always taken advantage of is the, you know, MLB game day um, radio package. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause I figured, well, I'd, uh, you know, when that all first came out, I actually was living in Hawaii and when people will talk about blackout areas, I know the Midwest is pretty rough, but Hawaii is almost the worst. You, <laughs> cannot get Seattle games, you can't get Giants A's games, you can't get Arizona games. Um, it's just like, ah, so I got that radio package and I just started listening to broadcasts from all over the place. And um, I feel like that is, it's fun to do. I don't know how many um, baseball fans do out-of-market broadcasts just because of the love of the game, but I'm one of those people. And I found tons of, I already knew about the New York guys before I even moved to New York. Mm. Um, cause I liked listening to them. And, you know, so, sometimes I listen to Seattle and, uh, Toronto, except I don't really like their commercials. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's, Which is it's one a, of those funny things you get. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the MLB stuff, it's a, it's a, birthday gift to myself every single year so I can watch the Red Sox wherever. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, one of those amazing things in the ex- the accessibility about it too, but that just adds again to the fan experience and, and, and that index and, and the weight that you guys put on that. We're talking with Mike Wentworth and uh, Asa Beal here, writers and creators of the fan experience index uh, from fan graphs back in 2018. Uh, so let me ask you guys this too. I mean, again, only about a year and a half removed from this coming out, has if you guys were to go and do this this year, if you were to you know living in the in the world that we're in currently, where there are no sports and we need something to to read or something to do and talk about, ha- any changes you might make to it? Any you know whether it be adding something different, uh, a change in weight, uh, uh, for something, um, any any alterations you might make to it? Well, I was I actually had one thing I had been thinking about because um, it was one of the categories that we kind of got a lot of comments about was the ownership Mm -hmm. and I was you know and and recently um you know listening to the local radio you know they told us that the you know the A's ownership group wasn't going was going to lay off all of their um the Coliseum employees and you know that's been a you know well well you know certain like I saw an article that Kansas, the Kansas city, you know, that their ownership group was going to continue to pay everyone through the season. And so, you know, you look at, 
you know, one of the aspects of these, you know, these billionaires basically is what, um, how are they treating the community um, and the fans? I mean, it's it, in a way, I kind of feel like the way that these owners are going to weather um, this close potential closure, uh, you know, should be, I would add that in. <laughs> if I was going to make a change as to which ownership group was um, continuing to pay their employees. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, there's a couple levels you can look at this on. And and I think the current situation, and, you know, Mike mentioned the A's and that they're not going to be playing, paying minor leaguers. Like, mm-hmm. that just makes me feel icky. Like, that, right. that, there's like a moral side of this that mm-hmm. once you start down that road, I think it's a different article because... If we really want to go into, uh, you know, 30 owners and they're, they're billionaires and they might not all be like personally awful people, but they're essentially like all squeezing minor leaguers. They're, they're, you know, they're not paying minor leaguers. These people are like on the road all year long eating crappy food because the owners won't shell out a few. Like you right. could get into, you know, the labor relations side of things. Like it gets dark when you start thinking about sports ownership the what mm-hmm. the Braves did to swindle all these small southern towns into paying for their stadium yeah like like it is it's another level so <laughs> I think it's like it, it's a little bit hard to separate out because there's a level you could just say well d- did they spend like did they spend on this team because that's what matters because I you know and, and it and it sort of comes back to the you know do you like your sports to be devoid of, of anything political, which I know some people say, right. um, to me, it's impossible to separate that out. Uh, so I, I do think this category gets, would get stickier, uh, especially in the current crisis. And I might care less that Bob Nutting, you know, is, is being cheap with the pirates. And I might appreciate more that he's paying, uh, you know, ballpark employees. I, I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but I, but mm-hmm. I might sort of switch the there. <laughs> well, I mean, it, and it's completely understandable, especially in, in this scenario, because, you know, we even see it, I mean, it's it's played out in movies, you know, uh, whether it be fiction or nonfiction, but, you know, own, like, just, you know, full crazy, you know, in major league where they're putting the Indians on a crappy plane because it's an owner and she's trying to get him to tank so that she can move the team to, to Florida or, you know, how it's chronicled in Moneyball where the players have to pay for their own uh, stuff out of the vending machine and things like that. So I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's wrong to, to include that stuff and to think about that stuff because I do think it's, a, it's a part of it. And you have some fan bases who are fans in spite of their owners um, and some fans who are only fans because they love how their owners act. I mean, I'm sure there are Dallas Cowboys fans who are fans because of Jerry Jones and how he acts with the media. And I'm sure, you know, there are fans in New York who, you know, I know this for a fact, there are fans in New York who are no longer Knicks fans because of James Dolan and how he treats, you know, people. So it's, 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 it's a certainly an important aspect yeah. of it. Um, I want to get to something that is uh, something that, you know, again, working in minor league baseball for as long as I have is kind of the the heartbeat of the season, and that is your your actual game day experience. What drives fans to the ballpark outside of the runs and the hits and the errors and, and the win loss total? So, when you guys looked at game day experience, if you could kind of touch on what aspects went into it, whether it was on field promotions, uh, 
easy to walk the concourse, food and stuff like that. I mean, what, what kind of aspects went into the game day experience when, when you guys were devising this? Yeah, so this was, yeah, we're trying to capture all of that. We're really trying to capture all of that. And, you know, we'll admit, you know, we, we haven't been to all 30 ballparks combined. So we mm-hmm. did rely on other sources here. And, you know, that's something else we tried to do throughout the article was actually use, uh, yeah, you know, use other, use surveys and use data other people have gathered to, to inform this and then, and then tweak it a little bit with our opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's certain ballparks that are objectively beautiful. Maybe some people would push back, but you know, you think about Pittsburgh, you think about San Francisco, uh, Seattle, like there's some really beautiful ballparks. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the, the physical space, I mean, so much of a baseball game is what happens in between pitches mm-hmm. and you're looking around or you, you know, you say, Hey, you know, it's kind of hot. Why don't we go, uh, walk around and stand, you know, at the little railing for the next couple innings. And can you do that? Like, do you have access to that? And, you know, can you walk the, the whole stadium around and, and what is it, is it remarkable in any way? Does it, does it reflect the city? I mean, I think something about Pittsburgh is, I mean, Pittsburgh is yellow. That's their color. Yeah. Right? It's, it's <laughs> the Steelers, the Penguins and the Pirates. I love when the city it's the one thing I've region. always loved about that, about that city and their, their sports teams is they are all color coordinated. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hate them or love them. They are on point. And that, that bridge is yellow and it all mm-hmm. just feels so right. And the interactive element of being able to hit homers into the, into the river there is really fun. So yeah, it's, I mean, there's so much that goes into this and, and I'd love to someday do the, the 30 ballpark trek that some, some amazing, yeah. uh, you know, borderline crazy people have tried. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know, Mike, what, what would you add to that? Yeah. Well, and then we, you know, we looked at what, you know, the median family income is in all of the counties where all of the stadiums are located, you know, what the average ticket is, uh, what the cheapest ticket is just to get in, mm-hmm. you know, what they offer, um, the amenities and, um, all of the extras. I mean, some of that stuff starts, in my opinion, to become distractions, you know, slides and other things that aren't really related um, to baseball, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's, the, you know, I guess the family experience, you know, we, uh, you know, like say the tree house at the Oakland Coliseum, um, you know, for 30 bucks a month, you can go to every home game and you get right. access to, you know, deep left field. And, um, but up in that space, you know, I can play foosball and pool and, um, not even pay attention to, I can watch the game on the TV in yeah. this setting um but it is you know but but some people loved it i mean i i took advantage of it just to get into the ballpark um right. and just take you know on my way home from work i could just get off at the station pop in and actually that was one of the things you know that um you know we tried to race teams that are right you know in a downtown center so the mm-hmm. accessibility um of kind of, you know, what is it like after work to just, you know, be in town and get to the, your, you know, ballpark. Um, right. And it's funny because that was some of the things, you know, I, I would say Oakland isn't that exact thing, but Bark makes it pretty accessible. Um, and, 
you know, we looked at, you know, all of that and, um, well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, and I bring that up because I, I, I'm one of the ones who I try, I've tried very hard to get to all 30. And I think I've gotten, you know, when you include the old city, old Shea and old Yankee and Turner, you know, I, I've, I've got, I think, close to 13. Um, but I remember vividly thinking when I was at Turner Field for the first time, it was in their final season, walking around that ballpark and going, you know what? It's a nice ballpark. I love where it's situated. The food is really good. The concourse is dark. It's it's a little and then I started asking people, you know, what they think about the new stadium and the one thing and you guys pointed it out is that nobody can get to it. It's so difficult to get to and I haven't been to SunTrust just yet or Truist Park whatever it's going to be called now. Um but, you know, between that and then I remember we're going to Chicago and seeing Wrigley Field for the first time and being awestruck by it and, and how easy it was to get to and the area around the ballpark, Wrigleyville and all the bars that are open at nine thirty in the morning on a Friday to serve you beer and a, and a, and a broad, um, you know, so yeah. there's so much about that that just makes it the fan experience. And again, with my own bias, happy to see, you know, Boston, the Red Sox put third on your fan experience index. And I always will say Fenway is the best experience you can find in baseball because of the nostalgia and how easy it is to get to it and what's around it. So, um, you know, the, the, the ballpark experience I think is, is undoubtedly one of the more important ones about it. And, and, you know, so it was, it was just kind of fun to read that and see where certain things ranked. And so uh, basically, I guess kind of a roundabout question of asking is if Turner field still existed, would the Braves rank higher on this list? I'm I'm going to take this one because I I'm a born and raised <laughs> and was was lucky enough to be born into a, a really glorious time to be a Braves fan. And yes, short answer is absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could I could I could rant about this. I'm going to try to be more <laughs> concise. But I think right when we were putting this together, I was especially bitter <laughs> about them moving the stadium out to Cobb County. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I love cities. I, I love being in urban spaces. And Turner was that, right? You could see the city yep. skyline behind it. It, it you know, I love the, just the wrinkle that not a lot of people knew is that was the Olympic Stadium that was built yeah. in 96 uh, for the Olympics. And they blew up half of it and closed it off to make it a baseball stadium. And it was great. There was nothing wrong with that. Park. And there's still like, remnants of it in the parking lot, people? too. There were still remnants of the Olympics in the parking lot. so (laughs) Right. So, you know, I think they would have ranked a lot higher. And, you know, there's probably some people that really enjoy the more suburban ballpark experience. So, you know, I I don't want to rule that out. But it seems to me that, like, Truist Park or whatever the heck it's called now, it's part of this new idea where you build a stadium out in the suburban area and then you create this, this, cash cow around it i think it's called the battery there where there's mm-hmm. you know restaurants and shops and and they envision this like this experience where people come for the whole day so it's sort of it's sort of reverse engineering what like fenway has and what rig right. has those are neighborhoods with with character where there's a whole culture that sprung up around the ballpark and i, I got to watch i think it was game five of the 2016 world series out or it must have been game six because it was in Wrigley, out in the streets around Wrigley mm-hmm. Field. I just happened to be in town, and that was unreal. Yeah. So there's that experience, and and the Giants have that, 
and Turner did too, even though it wasn't quite as polished. And it, you know, probably some people uh, coming in from the suburbs were a little uh, had some anxiety about the, the yeah. urban environment they found themselves in. Uh, but but I just love. I'm always going to prefer that in Baltimore. I went to school in Baltimore. The, the experience yep. around Camden, rather than this sort of reverse engineered, let's build a complex out in the middle of nowhere. People will come and have this very, like, I don't know, kind of. Uh, Pleasantville experience of a yeah. ballpark. If you were to just take those when, setups, I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead and, and then I'll get to, I'll, I'll, I'll finish no, my I point. Gonna, I was going to continue on with the, yeah, sorry. Yeah. With the, with the ballparks, I had that thing growing up. I mean, I <clears throat> I couldn't get to the stick very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an East Bay kid and um, lived off of a BART line. So uh, growing up as a Giants fan, while the Bash brothers and the A's were really so close i just would go to the coliseum i mean i've seen hundreds of games at the coliseum until the giants moved into downtown because mm-hmm. you know that created it and it made it accessible for me um and i loved it i mean then i really you know got to have far more giant pride i felt like um and you know it's weird to have your favorite team but as a you know love of the game i'll go to the coliseum just to watch ball. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, it was awesome. They had a, if you were under 18, the games were a dollar and I could go watch Ken Griffey Jr. come to town. I could yeah. see, you know, Frank Thomas and, and all those guys. And in, and you just want to watch ball and it was accessible and easy. So I, I rate that highly. I think that is what helped create love of the game is being able to get into the ballpark. Well, I think, you know, 100%, because I think one of the reasons why I became such a staunch, a bigger baseball fan than I was, was because I went to high school outside of Baltimore, and I was easily able to hop on the mark and, and get right on in there, uh, right outside Camden Yards, buy a ticket on a Tuesday night for $8 with a with chips and a soda up in the upper deck, um, and go mm-hmm. see Pedro Martinez and, you know, Mike Mussina and uh, Jeter in his prime and, and, and all that stuff, and then you know, being able to travel, you know, going to all those places. And if you're talking about the area around it, I mean, getting, I was in Cleveland for game five of the world series when it was being played in Chicago and the place around the Jake, which I love the fact that people in Cleveland still call it. The Jake is awesome. Um, you know, that place is, is incredible. Going to Boston as often as I do and, and hanging out at the cask and flagon or game on, or, you know, bleacher ball, wherever it is. Um, even Yankee stadium, you know, has a couple of places around the area. City field has, has those, um, Wrigley, obviously we mentioned that earlier, but you know, Philadelphia, it's great that all the venues are right there and it's great that they open up Xfinity live for each event, but you know, if it was further into downtown, it might be a little bit better and a much more fun experience because there'd be more options uh, when when you're right there. So, yeah, that that is definitely something that is is high up on on my list too. When I think about a uh, fan experience as well, um, we're talking with Mike Wentworth and Asa Beal here, uh, creators of the Fan Experience Index, and we've come to the point in the show where we let you, the listeners, get involved and ask some quick hitting questions, play a little game called Pepper. Uh, we take your questions and give our our first initial uh, responses to it as best we possibly can. So, gentlemen, the first question here uh, that we have is from uh, Joseph. Your number one most memorable fan experience to date was. So, Mike, if, if you want to start that. Wow. Um, it won't even be a Giants memory. It's going to be <laughs> uh, Bo Jackson 
my favorite player at the time, uh, hitting a home run off of Eckersley okay. um, to deep left. It was, uh, that day was one of the best days. You know, I went with a friend and we brought our baseball cards. So, you know, you could go in early to the game, went down towards the field, got Kevin Seifert autographed his upper deck card and all that, you know, it was just so much fun. Um, Dave Parker was super cool. And, uh, and then as a, as a non-Ace fan, getting to see Bo Jackson win the game was just phenomenal. <laughs> That's incredible. I'm so jealous of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm so bad at giving one on answers. So I'm going to quickly say, it's not that game six, uh, world, uh, the 2016 world series, watching it outside of Wrigley, though that was incredible. And I did get to go to the game where Bond stole his 500th base to be the Ooh. only person in the 500, 500. Yeah. Plus. But it has to be because I am a homer after all. Uh, 2005 NLDS game two where Brian McCann hits a three run shot off of Roger Clemens. And it, it was, it was crazy that was the year of the baby braves <laughs> yeah it was mccann and frank core and freaking uh kelly johnson and brian Langerhans and all these guys and it was it was sort of like the braves are done and then it was like oh no they're back they got all these kids and mccann was so great and roger clemens just felt like the ultimate villain to kind of do that off of he was just so <laughs> badass and was just doing his like start the season in June thing at that point. Yeah. It's so easy to, to dislike him at that point. So, so, so easy. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's, 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 I think it's a tie between my first ever game, which was at Fenway Park in 97. John Valentin autographed a baseball for me, and Mo Vaughn hit a walk-off off the Coke bottle above the monster. Um, and then uh, my first ever trip to the old Yankee Stadium, I sat in the bleachers amongst the bleacher creatures in full Red Sox gear, as Manny Ramirez hit two homers and Josh Beckett pitched six shutout innings in a Red Sox win. So um, to quote Kurt Schilling, there's nothing better than going into Yankee Stadium and making 80,000 people shut up. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a, a, fun, a, a fun day for sure on that one. Uh, let's see here. Mike wanting to know uh, if the, your favorite ballpark to have been to and why. What's the, you know, the, the one ballpark you've been to that you love the most? So Asa, if you want to start that one. And you can be a homer. It's mm. fine with that because I, 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 I'll just say it right now, I am a homer. It's Fenway Park, and it's not even close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, emotionally, it's Turner Field. Um, aesthetically, it's uh, whatever the heck they're calling Pac Bell Park these days. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm, with, I'm with Pac Bell Park, too. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I mean, I've I've been able to drive past it one one weekend trip through through there, so I uh, can't wait to actually go and experience a game there. Uh, last last question here for you guys, um, and, and this again because it comes from the minor league side of things. Uh, is there an in game promotion that sticks out into your mind, or something you saw that made you kind of really take notice and remember it? Oh yeah. Okay. So I don't think this team exists anymore. I could be wrong, though, but there used to be a minor league team, I think it was A-Ball, in Savannah, Georgia, called the Savannah Sandbat. They were a Rangers affiliate. Somewhere I have a bat signed by everybody on the team at the time. I don't know who the heck it was. I need to find out if it was, like, you know, a young – well, I don't even know who it would have been at that time. Young, not earlier than Andrus, but 
we went to that game. I was a kid, and there was just a person dressed in a giant toilet outfit <laughs> that was running around the field. I don't even remember what the like narrative hook was and what the explanation, but it was just hysterical. And everyone in the stadium knew what was going on and was up for it and was cheering. And it just felt like the quintessential minor league experience. And it was, it was so much fun. Yeah, the, the Savannah, so they don't exist anymore. The Savannah Sand Nats actually became the Columbia Fireflies now, a New York Mets affiliate. But there is still baseball there. They're the Savannah Bananas, and they are probably, they're a collegiate league team in the Coastal Plain League. And they take minor league baseball to a whole new level with their with their thing. It's it's awesome. They're, they're really good at marketing. So <laughs> they're a lot of fun to watch. Nice. I have to go back. Yes. Yeah, I don't have a good one. I mean, I just like the, you know, when they have a bobblehead day for your favorite player. Yeah, a bobble and, and those I'm things are easy. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it actually happened last year. I was fortunate enough um working in independent baseball when guys get signed and and you're able to go different places and and check them out. We were in uh York, Pennsylvania for the Atlantic League All-Star game last year and a player who was on our team was signed by the Nationals and he was playing in Double A Harrisburg. So we went up to watch him and the Harrisburg Senators neat cute little ballpark, but their owners and, and like their front office guys, they do like these music video dances on the field in all like matching full color suits and they did it to its reigning men and it was one of the funniest things I had ever seen. It was it was great. So <laughs> really, really fun. Uh Gentlemen, we appreciate your guys' time. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I, I know this came out a, a year and a half ago, but it's been a lot of fun to talk with you guys about it and appreciate it. And, um, you know, looking forward to more from you guys. Um, you know, I, I do want to ask where you guys can be found and where people can kind of keep up with some of the other stuff that you're doing. I know it's not just baseball, but, you know, how can folks follow you and maybe get a little bit more insight into some of the other things that you're doing? Yeah, I can go first. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to shout out um, the experience of writing these uh, was really great. This in another article we did with the Hardball Times, which is now not not up currently, but with Fangraphs and uh, Meg Rowley, who's now the managing editor of Fangraphs, was at the time the managing editor of the Hardball Times and worked with us. And she is incredible to work with. She's fantastic. Also, just a big fan of her work in general. So I wanted to to give a, a shout out there. Um, and yeah, I would love for people to check out uh, another podcast that I work on. Uh, which is you can search in the Apple podcast or anyone or anywhere else uh, for popularium out loud. That's P O P U L A R I U M like aquarium popularium out loud, short stories. Um, so yeah, check that out. Uh, if you're looking for something uh, non-baseball related, but just kind of quick hitting 10 minute uh, kind of like little mini audio books with a full immersive sound experience. They're really fun. Yeah, and um, I work with a, um, a nonprofit that is sort of uh, uh, working on uh, oral histories and preserving community stories, and that can be um, found at onceWere.org. Awesome. Guys, we appreciate it. Thank you so much, and uh, please stay safe, stay healthy, and um, I look forward to, to seeing more of what you guys do. And I know you're working together on a, on a screenplay for, um, you know, the Negro leagues and whatnot. And I look forward to hopefully getting you guys and talking to you more about that later on down the road. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Christian. Yeah. Right, it's Asa Beal and Michael Wentworth, uh, the Fan Experience Index. You can find the link to it uh, on our social media pages, uh, twitter.com, facebook.com. Just search Caught Listening by Public House Media. 
see where your team ranked a year and a half ago. It's not that far off. Um, Marlins fans, maybe don't go look at it because you're at the bottom. So I can just tell you that right now. So, uh, But a lot of fun talking with them. And um, let us know your thoughts on, on maybe where you would rate some of those things for your own fan experience index. Uh, we're going to shift down to the minor league level and all the fun, wacky craziness that gets associated with minor league baseball next week. Ben Hill of Ben's Biz on Minor League Baseball, MILB.com. He's going to join us as well. Don't forget to submit your questions however you want through social media. Just search Caught Listening by Public House Media or email the show, PHM at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, share it with your friends and family. We appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Stay safe, stay healthy, and until next week, I'm Christian Heimel. You have been Caught Listening. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.